0: Hey there, we're going to go check out Q Anonymous, Q Anonymous, the... Q Anon, Anonymous. Of Star Culture Wars. A Death on W Street. Featuring Andy from, uh, Um Fire in the Sky. <sighs> uh, the Rise of Dark Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds great. Episode
1: 199. What's up, QAA listeners? The seven games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Boy, boy, boy. Welcome, listener, to chapter 199 of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Dark Brandon Rises episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakitansky,
2: William Fields, and Travis View. This week, we'll be exploring a... First Ron Hawkins, and actually going to be on this poster known as Q, turned up in Australia. Secondly, and more substantively, the is to the FBI's visit to Mar-a-Lago, allegedly was storing classified
3: documents in a safe.
0: In reaction, what which they the have has Anonymous. <laughs> So like the on is I think
2: it's Combined <laughs> with the administration creating reason which is officially no longer funny. Right-wing
3: online figures and conspiracy theorists have worked themselves up into a froth, and we're going to walk you through it. But before we jump into all of that, we've got another announcement to make. New merch has dropped in our renovated online store. Oh. This time free of any print on demand bullshit. Visit merch.qanonanonymous.com where you can find a Moloch Owl Sanctuary t-shirt and hoodie, as well as an I'm sorry boy tee. So weird idea, weird rains getting forever. Very strange meeting, but a goofy
2: line I came up with probably at three in the morning, probably inebriated. It will now be the on a very high quality (laughs) t-shirt
1: It's the yeah. QAnon Anonymous, you know, club company or
2: whatever whatever they call
0: it. Very surreal his?
3: and I am
1: here for it, as the not so young kids say
3: anymore. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think anyone says that anymore. Oh dear. That's okay. So as we were saying, original designs, worldwide shipping is available <coughs> and if you're a Patreon supporter. We sent
0: out
1: a code for a ten
0: like percent discount.
3: The lamb?
1: Did you say worldwide shipping? Shipping as in the t-shirts contain so that we can track their moments, track you and, I mean if you're wearing our t-shirts you expect
2: at least as much mind control, good, good MK Ultra, etc. One last
3: thing tickets for our September 10th Eugene, Oregon date are still available at tour.qanonanonymous.com so get them
0: before they're gone alright, on with the show Run Watkins Stay MKL to the band
3: Ago, we covered the absence of Ron Watkins from his own congressional campaign trail in Arizona's 2nd District. For those unfamiliar, Ron is the former administrator of 8chan, <laughs> now renamed 8 and his father, Jim Watkins, is the owner of the image board. They have at the very least supported and enabled the anonymous poster known as Q, if not outright created the majority of its output. Now, after Q went quiet in the lead up to January 6, 2021, Ron continued to spread conspiracy theories as a bogus election specialist on Twitter, Telegram, and in right-wing media. Finally, he pivoted to politics (coughs) and ran for Congress. First, Ron ran a relatively straightforward campaign, albeit packed full of his usual bullshit crimes, but then at some point in late June, rumors started surfacing that he had fled the country. All through July, Ron posted old photos of himself on the campaign trail, skipped appearances, and had his campaign manager tell people that he had received death threats and gone into hiding. However, Ron denied having left the country more than a month before the primary, which is... Understandable for a congressional candidate who had to loan himself ninety thousand dollars and continued to raise money. What? This lasted until August second, when the he
2: came
0: himself. in seventh
3: and last place in his Republican congressional primary <laughs> with only three point
0: eight percent of the vote. Ninety-three thousand
3: dollars. on July twenty-second, he pretended to attend an Arizona Trump
0: rally. Well, a scenic
3: picture of the region.
1: And writing this.
2: Trump rally in today.
1: If you see me or anybody from our campaign, please say hi, and we will give you some cool campaign merch while supplies last. If you can't make it to the rally, please support our campaign here. God bless. Ron was spotted there by nobody, of course, because he was
3: long gone and just trying to squeeze some extra votes and votes at the roofs. <laughs> telegram throughout his absence, which may have had something to do with getting subpoenaed by the January 6th Committee in early June. His reaction to their outreach was to tell them to both insane, And more crucially, he wrote this
1: I am not hiding. My campaign schedule is public. Their incompetence is on display for all to see. Please help support my campaign. We need to raise $100,000 in the next 30 days to win this race. Donate here.
3: So, to recap, Ron got subpoenaed by the January 6th committee, then posted a defiant message on June 8th, and then basically disappeared from the campaign trail for nearly two months. Pretending he was still in Arizona while raising money. During that time, Q returned from a year and a half of silence to post several times between June 24th and June 29th, denouncing the January 6th committee in the process. After his primary loss on August 2nd, we still had no information about Ron's whereabouts other than the rumor that he had left the country. And then on August 7th, we received a tip from hey, one of our fine listeners. Move back. Ron had been spotted in Sydney, Australia, and there was proof that he had been in the country as early as July 26th, about a week before the primary. There was also some evidence, which we can't go into the details of, that Ron was planning to stay in Australia for a longer period than just a vacation. Now, we decided to keep the source anonymous for many reasons, but broke the news on Twitter and shared the information with some journalists. Soon after the articles started appearing, Ron deleted multiple telegram posts referencing Australia. All of them, in fact. We know this because Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch, AZ underscore RWW on Twitter, got screen caps of the posts and sent them to us. So, for posterity,
1: here are a few things he stated about Australia in late 2021. Do not be complacent. Australia is the canary in the coal mine. Dear world, pay attention to Australia because they are testing grounds for what the elites are planning for you. Australia needs help. What? They have fallen into tyranny. Let us stand together with our brothers and sisters in Australia. They gave up their guns. They don't have the freedom of speech. They don't have the right to peacefully gather and protest. <laughs> what they have is
0: God's good grace behind it. the unflinching support of Bet people. anything NRA is behind it. Also in response wanna... to an article about residents have in have the guns. northern have guns
1: In Australia, the army is being used to take people to camps. So, Australia
4: is scary, but figure. not as scary as a subpoena from the JRA 6 committee, apparently. Then, on August 8th,
3: Jim Watkins confirmed that his son Ron was in Australia on his Ahoy the Ship Show stream. He appeared with Ron Watkins' campaign manager and two other flunkies, Dee Stevens and Kevin Louth, aka Major Burdock. Here's Stevens pulling up an article by Crikey, an Australian news outlet.
5: I did see this this scenery. <coughs> has Ron Watkins, who many believe is behind the Q and honor, uh, moved to Australia? Oh, let's get the scouting on that one. Crikey man,
2: Crikey. <coughs> Looks like Arizona behind the machine are <coughs> 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 What happens?
0: <laughs> oh. Oh. Nothing man. There's a Q Anonymous and podcast. Gosh darn it. Dag nabbit. Are you still there? Yes, you are. Hello, darling. Shout out to KAMP hey. Student Radio at the University of Arizona and. KPYT Pasqua Yaki Tribal Radio, and on the res with Trista show. So, and uh, we do ASMRs and get everybody caught up on on the same page on this podcast. Thanks for over ten thousand listens. Just took a little bike ride, help with my back. Now I need a heating pad, and I'm feeding my aminos while we're
2: getting get, getting caught up. <laughs>
0: Hey, <laughs> Tribal What's
2: up, QAA listeners?
0: Um, I want to hear about the rise of Dark Brendan.
4: ...taking the weapons, so it was a little more casual than the word raid implies. Four men out of one car. Like bank robbers with George D. Stevens
3: and Kevin Lauf, a.k.a. Major Burdock. Here's Stevens pulling up an article by Cranky, an Australian news outlet.
5: I did see this uh, This story. Maybe. Has Ron Watkins, who many believe is behind Q and Honor, uh, moved to Australia? Let's get the scoop on oh, that one, Crikey, man, Crikey! Okay. Looks like Arizona behind <laughs> him, you know, Arizona behind Where's
0: Arizona? Well, I don't think he's permanently to Australia, but he's in Australia right now. Ah,
2: okay. He moved.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know they're doing <laughs> that because some, some
2: they just don't evidence
5: in I hope he's over he in might be planning on making a permanent move.
6: Well, let's consider Darren. You know, look look through their and what they're
1: what they're associating in their article and then put, they're putting Ron Watkinson's good name, congressional candidate, all around all American guy. Yeah. In there with a bunch of wacko stuff in the same story to try to smear him. So you know, consider that, you know, before you before you take the article too seriously. Oh I'm not taking it seriously at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he is in Australia right now, and everyone knows he's had some serious death threats, and it's best for him to be there for right now. Right. Well, that's got to be a major to Julian, scrolling right by your tweet, not saying jack shit about you or the podcast. Please, call me homosexual again. <laughs> Say
3: something about how I'm Travis View's boyfriend yeah. or God damn it. it's right there, it's right there for you. I have a feeling I didn't to get into it again. Yeah. I'm a bit of a thorn at side.
1: He's like, um, that one guy, Travis View, an all around gentleman. We have exchanged a few words and clarified some things, and I have no problem with Travis, but Julian's, uh, homosexual, uh, is a different story. I'm not sure why Travis, good guy like Travis, would be powering around with Somebody named Julian, but uh, stranger things have happened, I
3: Very
0: suppose. Guys.
1: I'd like to thank researcher2022
3: underscore karma on Twitter for alerting us about this stream.
2: Meanwhile, Ron has gone quiet online.
3: His last telegram post was on August 7th. So, there you have it. I don't know what else to say
5: except, Ron, wherever you go, no matter how
3: far you flee, my little birds will be there ever watch her.
2: You'll find no respite.
3: And there'll be no peace until you log off for good. Enjoy Australia, buddy. Have a finding it won't be as bad as your
2: depiction. Well
3: yeah, until a giant huntsman spider crawls up his sleeping
2: bag, then you know you might have
3: some second thoughts. <laughs>
1: Huntsman doesn't,
2: uh, it's just scary looking, but it doesn't hurt you. Well, yeah, but they're scary looking, that's the most important part. I
1: mean, right? rarely, rarely uh, does the fear of spider come from getting bitten and something horrible happens to you. It's it's having it sneak up on you in your car or outside your sleeping bag or, you know, when you're helpless on the toilet or something like that. No. My worst nightmare is, like, you're putting on a shoe camping and there's something in it. I don't like that. And I,
2: I'm going to admit, if I see a huntsman, like, crawling all over me, I'm going to freak out. It's not, I'm not. Yeah, when uh, when I went to Israel, when I was a
1: uh, like, uh, sophomore, maybe in high school. I did one of those like summer Israel exchange programs like, through my through my school. You're done, dude. You're done. <laughs> we we did a, a three day camelback ride uh, through the desert. and we I camped out in the desert, and one morning I woke up, and I was rolling up my sleeping bag, and as I got to the very edge of it, it looked like a hand came out from the, you know, from the edge of the sleeping bag, and it was the legs of a huge desert spider, probably like the size of a small dinner plate, that had been in my sleeping bag, and crawled out as I was rolling it up, so God knows how long it was in there with me, I do, for those wondering, I know it's, you're gonna ask on Twitter, I do not have any superpowers, I was gonna say, you were in there with like a fly the fly machine it would have been fucking awesome if i woke up in that desert like super cut uh you know able to beat up the high school bullies who what if you were
3: the me. same amazing what if you were the same but you had like thick horse-like hair everywhere <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's more likely i think no 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 i'm on i'm on a, a cocktail of medications to get my hair uh to be as thick as a horse tail okay everywhere <laughs> everywhere on your body It's me working. Not on the head, but on the
3: nipples. Not on the head, but not not so much the head. But uh, each nipple, uh, each looks like a burning bush. Well, that's it for the little Ron segment. Ron, I hope you're out there listening. The door knock.
4: Well, boys, I think it's finally happening. Mm -hmm.
3: It's happening.
4: Yeah. The Cheeto, formerly in the White House, is going to prison. Pretty sure. Yay. Forever.
0: Maybe the electric chariot. Yay! So Monday, Magic August, work. Music FBI to my ears.
4: <gasps> ...boxes of documents <gasps> in a raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. No, raid is apparently a dramatic term for what actually happened because the Wall Street Journal that the FBI officials showed up in like t-shirts and cargo pants and they were told not to take any weapons, so it was a little more casual than the word raid. Four men out
1: of one car walked up to the door and said, hello, we'd like to see this room, please. So these events were confirmed by Trump himself in a statement. These are dark times for our nation, as my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege starring Steven Seagal, very popular movie. (laughs) I like Steven, he's a good guy, good patriot. Raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. They even broke into my safe. I can see them now busting it like bank robbers with George Soros masks on. I saw a pretty funny tweet. I mean, I'm sure it was like a you know ultra live but it was like Baron barely looking up from Call of Duty Warzone, like Safes in the back. And I thought it was like, oh, that's pretty funny, because Baron wouldn't care. He would be like. Oh, yeah, fucking get this guy out of my life. He's also not in Mar-a-Lago. He's in a boarding school where they turn you into a super soldier.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's in cryo-freeze right now, adding a couple LBs.
4: God bless him. He's in, like, yeah, some region of Switzerland that doesn't show up on any radar only rich people know about. He's actually at the core of CERN, powering the entire thing of his brain.
2: <laughs> so the
4: written inventory of what the FBI took was really
0: what the fuck? is that it? what happened to the dark brandon stuff damn it oh wait oh playback error okay right it's 10 It is a premium method. Epi- oh, that's fire in the sky.
2: What's up, QAA listeners?
0: Sample. Rise of Dark Burns to 10 more episodes. W. <laughs> Venus. Ooh. The Venus Project. That sounds neat. What's
4: up, QAA listeners?
1: today. I'm sorry,
2: boy.
1: Welcome, listener, to Premium Chapter 180 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Venus Project episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jay Prokotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Frequently,
3: this podcast covers dystopias, for obvious reasons. And when utopias do come up, they tend to be demented, based around the public executions of one's enemies, and the revelation that they were all baby blood drinkers to begin with. But today we're going to take a look at the utopian vision of Jacques Fresco, the man behind what he called the Venus Project. And I'm sure Travis will not reveal anything weird about this self-taught futurist who died in 2017 at the ripe age of 101 and envisioned a new way to organize society based on cybernetics, automation, and natural resource management.
4: I'm here to talk about a man with a vision late Jacques Fresco. He was a self-educated industrial engineer who envisioned a future without wants, without war, and even without money.
0: The world was scarcity and which
2: all people are entitled to the full of most resources like food, food, water, fiber, education, healthcare,
4: energy, and food. A world in which technology and nature coexist to serve. A world so peaceful and beautiful its inhabitants evidence- can't conceive of misery, hate, and violence that we tolerate today. Now, this sounds like an idealistic, communist utopia, John Fresco rejected both communism and capitalism, claiming that they were economic systems based on scarcity. Instead, he envisioned what he called a resource-based economy, which he said was based on abundance. Hmm. Like it. Before Fresco died in 2017, he spent most of his very long life developing the broad details of his futuristic vision. Cities would look like, the houses would look like, how transportation would mm. generate endless key energy for the entire world, even what people would do with their cars before scarcity is eliminated. Mm. He purchased a 22 acre estate in Venus Florida, for which he used to build his model home of the future and show off models and drawings of his idiots. Along the way, he built up a stable of admirers, gave lectures all over the world, and was frequently interviewed by the media. Now, what's really interesting to me about Jacques Fresco is that it sounds like he had the potential to become a cult leader. It sounds like all of the elements are there. You know, he offered a utopian vision, he was a kooky outsider, he had followers who believed in his radical ideas, and he even bought a piece of property... I used to promote his ideas. But somehow, miraculously, it never really came to that. There's no evidence that I could find that people were, like upending their lives or being the victim of undue influence and service for the Fiends Project. So, how did Jacques Fresco come to be the founder of the Fiends Project? He was born to a Jewish household in Harlem in 1917. And this wasn't merely a Jewish household, it was a Sephardic Jewish household. Sephardic Jews are Spanish Jews who were forced to convert to Catholicism or face expulsion from Spain after 1492. Hundreds of thousands left Spain and settled in different parts of Europe and the
2: Middle East. Uh, Fresco's parents came from Istanbul and Haifa. Instead of speaking Yiddish, his family
4: spoke the Latino, church. which is Spanish. Yeah, yeah, the
0: church. This fucking persecuting people back then, too. When we period? fucking
4: uh, shut down the church. It's, uh, Latinx. Listen, this kind of might help explain Hi baby. He so hey, with
0: hey, his get off sort of there. Oh, Hi baby. Slider. Get down,
4: please. His him to be a hey, sign get down. Like get down. But that did not interest him.
0: Get on. He said he was devoted
4: to studying get mathematics, on, conducting science hey. experiments in the family bathroom, and building advanced models of ships and aircraft.
2: In an interview,
4: he claimed that as a teenager he was designed a safer kind of mechanical home fan, but his idea was stolen.
1: When I was about thirteen. One of my relatives stuck his hand into a metal fan while it was on. This led me to design a fan with rubber or fabric blades. I submitted the design to some companies, but they showed no interest. <laughs> Shortly after that, the product came out on the market.
0: This was my introduction to the marketplace. Right. God
1: damn. Don't Go you know
3: ahead. it? Yeah,
0: ain't, ain't that just? Ain't Next that just time, get it. a patent. It's like, uh, fantastic uh, uh,
2: idea,
1: and they're like, eh, this'll never work. I
4: see what you can do with uh, 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 so the rubber would be good, too. <laughs> Despite Fresco's love of learning, he hated school and uh, did not make it first elementary school. A childhood friend of mine named Jack Petraille, Later we his attitude toward formal education. It was all bullshit to him. He'd be put in the back of the class where he spent all his time drawing cities of the
1: future. This was 100% me, by the way. I would spend all of my time in uh, elementary school drawing pictures of, like, elaborate mazes and cities and tunnel systems, like, in the back of my church. Yeah. And then,
2: like, and, Yes, yeah, the Xenomorph. yeah, Utopia. <laughs> <first, laughs> Yeah, okay, here's here's the progression. At f- first it was a giant squid, then it was a first it was-
4: He says he responded this way. I informed her that the beds
1: we sleep in were designed in England. The language that we speak is butchered English. Our religion is imported. And if it hadn't been for guys like Louis Pasteur, we wouldn't care. The Arabs gave us the electric battery. The Phoenicians and Egyptians gave us much of good the science.
4: All
2: the way down the line, we so much for many. So many
4: different lands. He says that when he was told to pledge allegiance to the flag of the U.S., he asked him to pledge allegiance to the earth, and everyone on it instead. Yeah, what a game. Amazing. Fresco was sent to the principal's office, and fortunately, the principal was sympathetic to a student that had little patience for school. He gave Fresco his own place to read whatever he wanted and even took him to Macy's department store to buy him tools and materials to work with. During the Great Depression, Fresco dabbled in literature and hanging around comics, as well as rejecting Marxism. And for some reason, he made this rejection known publicly during a meeting of cards which, yeah, went down as well as you might think it would. Yeah, apparently he stood up and was like, Marx was wrong! And they were like, okay, man, you
1: gotta leave. <laughs> <laughs> He, like, grabs a couple, like, cookies off the, on the way out the
4: table, like, on the way out. Who's
2: coming with me?
4: No one? Okay. This incident was recounted in uh, the 1998 memoir, uh, Fat Man on the Left, Four Decades in the Underground, by the journalist Lionel Wolfe. At one point during the Depression, Fresco had been attracted to the theories
3: of Karl Marx. But he finally decided, and was brave enough to declare as much at a public meeting of the Young Communist League, from which he was physically ejected,
7: that Marx was
3: all wrong. Fresco felt that Marx was no longer accurate in talking about human labor being the source of all wealth. For one day, Fresco said, machines would make human labor redundant. It was a matter of simple physics. A man working all day long is lucky to produce a third of a horsepower's worth of work. Machines will one day do everything a man can do, only better, Fresco said. Besides, he asked, what else was man but a rather inefficient machine at best? Fresco spent many of the love
2: to crush himself on the box cards. Later, that I'm talking grace of wrath. I live through that and If
1: you don't become social out of that, that's a condition that shaped my values. being hungry on the road. That's how I build my identity. Those were social conditions that generated liberals. They don't exist in our society. We're getting a bunch of meatheads because our society doesn't have the ingredients to generate sensitive people. Now we are living in the tale of the middle ages, the land of the living dead.
0: Alright. Right. maybe we will move on to something else now. I don't know. That was really I wanna hear people
1: I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy.
0: Uh oh. Now I don't know how to turn it off. Welcome,
1: listeners, to chapter 198 of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the home to die-in episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Julian
3: Field, and Travis View. This week, we'll be exploring the story of a former Kentucky state representative who built a massive luxury home with an underground bunker designed to survive the apocalypse will trace his path from working at the ATF to owning a successful chain of liquor stores to running for government and ultimately falling down the QAnon rabbit hole. Unfortunately, this story ends in tragedy.
4: But before all that... Yeah, you know,
2: we did the
4: Reddit TMA. One of the questions we got was, how hey, did you start doing QAnon News? And my answer was, basically, it felt like QAnon News was just the news now. It felt like we want to give you something a little different than what you can see in uh, just regular news coverage. I mean, just uh, just a hair different. And it seems like just QAnons everywhere, so just, I just, I don't know, I stopped doing it. But I got something to talk about now. And uh, the big thing is that Ron Watkins finished last in his uh, congressional Republican primary. Ron Watkins, one-time an administrator, prime suspect for being one leader behind guys. Q- running for Congress in Arizona's 2nd <laughs> District. Uh, the campaign has not been going well and has been hindered by lackluster campaign performances and weak fundraising efforts. In the last month of the campaign, he disappeared from the campaign trail entirely. In a strange sequence of events, Ron revealed that the January 6th committee reached out in an attempt to serve him as Pina he stopped appearing in public in Arizona, and then Q broke a years-long silence to make five more Q drops, the last of which attacked the January Sixth Committee directly. Coincidentally, local Arizona reporter Bram Resnick with the NBC affiliate oh, next the... tried to determine Ron's balance, but that uh, he did not have much luck.
0: For defying a month, subpoena, said,
4: Quote, Arizona may have seen the last of Ron Watkins' interview set for July eleventh through. Campaign contacts and
0: business travel.
4: Another Arizona Second District candidate ah. says Ron Watkins hasn't been seen in weeks.
1: Ah. <laughs> This is like in the in the fairy tale when the old man in a, a tattered cloak shows up with a, a wagon on wheels and is you know he's selling potions and stuff and everybody buys the potions and then they and then they go up to be like, wait a minute, these potions, it's it's just tonic water, and they go back to the spot where he was and he's mysteriously vanished. You can just hear the creaking wheels
3: in the distance over the hill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, Ruth, so long. Uh, Former President Uh, Trump held a rally in
4: Arizona on July 23rd, uh, but Ron didn't even make it to that event, uh, even though representatives of his campaign were in attendance. Uh, During that rally, Trump actually endorsed Ron's opponent, the man who would go on to win the primary, Eli Craig. Uh, Trump's endorsement was actually met with booze. Yeah, but uh, Trump knows. He's like, I gotta pick the winner, otherwise
3: I look like a loser.
1: And a highly respected man just endorsed by me today, future congressman for the second district, Eli Crane.
0: Eli Crane.
2: Thank you, Eli. (laughs) (laughs) But you like me, but you like me, okay. All right. Yeah, well you still like me though, come on. (laughs) Incredible specimen.
0: Why you're a fuckin' Dude and, about 3, and, 80% and
4: Not great Now Ron Watkins did not offer the most graceful concession He said this on
2: television <laughs>
4: Congratulations to Elijah Crane Who bought Crossed out
2: Won do my the congressional primary
1: in my race Elijah Crane will be another rhino like Dan Crenshaw and John McCrane. As we have all learned, money seems to be the deciding factor in whether or not you win a congressional race. Elijah Crane raised the most money in my race by using a highly paid D.C. consultant team. While Elijah Crane may be a bought-and-paid-for rhino, he may yet be better than
4: the dirty Democrat Tom Halliburton. Good luck. So, I the primary might be better than the not bad.
1: Ron's coming around. He's coming
2: around. We're going to get him. We're going to get him, and he will do
1: a brand new QAnon for a brand new political party. And
4: it's going to be great. I just don't think they can put the old band back together. I think they're just really sad about that. If Q comes back and starts attacking Elijah Crane, I think I think those will be a little, little much. The other big election news tonight the is that Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham won the primary for Arizona's race. Uh, so that is a bit of an issue, because Mark Fincham is a member of a coalition of candidates organized by QAnon influencer 107, who are attempting to install election deniers into Secretary of State positions. Fincham is actually the fifth member of this coalition to win the nomination. In November, Fincham will face off against Democratic challenger Adrian Fontes.
8: Fincham has described
4: himself as an oath-keeper and repeatedly downplayed right-wing violence. For example, he claimed that the violence during the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville was not perpetuated by the far right. He also pushed the absurd idea that the January 6th insurrection was instigated by Antifa. Of course, is closely affiliated with QAnon. He spoke at the QAnon conference in Las Vegas, repeatedly used QAnon-related hashtags, and even posted a screenshot of a Q drop on Gab on February thirteenth, two thousand twenty-one. Here's what fincham said on episode of the Christian news program Victory News last year about the elite child trafficking cabal. You can't. There are certain things you can't unsee, and things you can't unlearn.
1: Um, I, I believe that uh, this God's hand is on this work for them
2: and to, to get to the point
1: where they're finding so many kids. Um, we've got a serious problem in this nation and that's one of the things that disturbs me so much about um, convert, uh, current, uh, um, the current congressional state of affairs. There's a lot of people involved in, in a pedophile network and the distribution of children and that makes me absolutely sick. And that is the war that we should be fighting here domestically.
2: Rooting that out
1: and finding out every single person who's involved in that kind
0: of behavior. Yeah, like Matt Gaetz and Donald Trump. Prosecute him for the 20... Prosecute Trump for the 26 sexual sexual, uh, assault and rape cases, six against boys and girls the idea of, like, oh, oh,
3: man, I was supposed to receive my children but the supply chain is failing.
0: With Jeffrey uh, Epstein. Than,
3: uh,
4: on, on, on a, in any of the aisles at the child store. This is socialism. And children are being restricted in Biden's economy. They're putting unnecessary tariffs on child sellers. It's really hard to overemphasize the degree to which Mark Fincham is a man. If he loses the election in November, he absolutely will not concede. In fact, he said he wouldn't concede if he lost the primary. And if he does win, then he will never recognize an election victory by one of his political opponents in the state of Arizona in his capacity as Secretary of State. If Democrats win Arizona in the 2024 presidential election, he will work to block the certification of the results to the best of his ability. I have no idea what that means or what that will look like. Uh, America has never seen a Q-drop posting Secretary of State. This is uncharted territory. Finding out what animals and bugs live in the
2: reeds in this
4: territory?
1: Yeah, maybe time to rethink what kind of
9: powers
1: the Secretary
4: of State uh, has, you know? You might have to learn how to hunt and gather animals and bugs to survive, if that
2: happens. <laughs> okay, I'm going in the pot then. Fuck it. I'm eating the bugs. Good protein. The
3: larvae. Home <laughs> In 1969, a man named Edgar Morgan opened Morgan's Whiskey Store with his wife, Norma Jean in Perry County,
2: Their son, Clinton Wesley, was
3: 19 years old at the time, and studying political science and history at Cumberland College. He would help them out with the store on his time off, which gave him a taste of independent business ownership. After graduating, he went on to study accounting at Eastern Kentucky University, where he graduated in 1974. The next year, he got a job as an auditor for the Internal Revenue Service before transferring to its Criminal Investigations Division. He would later claim that it's because he didn't like how they conducted their audits. He took a liking to law enforcement and soon joined the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, where he claims to have helped break gambling and weapons rings and raid marijuana growers in southern Ohio. During his time with law enforcement, Morgan also claims to have served on the protection detail for Teddy Kennedy and Walter Mondale. In the early 80s, President Ronald Reagan reduced the number of ATF agents with the intention of merging the operation with another agency. Around the same time, Morgan's father fell ill, so he moved back to Kentucky and helped his parents run their liquor store. By 1982, he had taken out a loan and purchased a business, Pete's Liquor, in Richmond, Kentucky. Over the next 30 years, Morgan scaled up his operation and changed his name multiple times from Wesley's Warehouse Liquor to Mega Liquor and finally Liquor World, which would grow into a four-store chain and make him a multi-millionaire. Over that time, he married, had a daughter, divorced, remarried, and had a second daughter. At some point, he dropped his first name, Clinton, and opted to go by his middle name, Wesley. He also grew to hate taxes and regulation, and when Obama took office in 2008, Morgan was not
1: happy. He would later explain to the Lexington Herald-Leader. I could see the handwriting on the wall that Obama was trying to change our country into a socialist country. He wasn't alone.
3: By 2009, the T, or Taxed Enough Already Party, was in full swing. It was a neo-libertarian right wing movement supported by billionaires like the Koch brothers. But for Morgan, a growing paranoia pushed him even further right. Here's from a New York Times
1: article by
2: Campbell. Oh, Robinson. I just realized my what?
0: feelings were that we were going there to we have civil about Soros, So we don't talk about the so Koch brothers. On
4: with Obama. Mr. Morgan said. He believed that people were going to rise up against the attempts to overhaul health care and restrict guns, and that societal collapse would soon follow. He envisioned roving bands of
0: I, I
2: Cards. Okay. I just figured out why.
0: trying to cover up for the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers
5: are actually controlling our elections. I just figured out why the rabid right-wing nuts...
0: ragging on hashtag Soros. Hey, fuck off. Get out of here,
2: asshole. Fuck
0: you stupid pig fucking pig fucked up my couch again (laughs) asshole tore apart my chair Maggot George
2: that's
5: always why why Coke brother
0: the rabbit Brothers are
5: out, oh brothers are out, oh brothers are out, oh brothers are oh right wing nuts. No- all right, let me try this again oh since y'all are sensitive little weenux. You can tell me to stop using your technology all you want, but I'm going to continue to use it because I'm also half white. So, like I said before, you can kiss. I just figured out why.
0: The rabid right-wing nuts are always talking about
5: George Soros.
0: It's because they're trying to cover up for the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers are actually controlling our... I just figured out why. The
2: rabid right-wing nuts are
0: always talking about George Soros. It's because they're trying to cover up for the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers are actually
5: controlling our
0: elections. Just
5: figured out why the rabid
2: right-wing nuts are. Shit. i um,
0: editing that. Let's see, 31 really. You're still there. Yeah, that was an ASMR. Hope you enjoyed it. (laughs)
2: Let's
0: see what's going on. Uh, That's the sound of a pig eating. (laughs) And geese. And that was turkeys. Or the rooster. Did you guess what? Did you guess what they were? Peacock's not saying anything. Let's. Oh man, no new episodes on Mary Trump. Let's see, I'm going back to YouTube. Let's see what's on there. I we could go to Democracy Now, but that was pretty. Oh, fed up Fox host turns on Trump over stolen documents on air. Haha. Ha. Oh, that sounds cool. Trump's special oh. master selection backfires after st- stunning oh. DOJ filing. Ooh.
10: Will oh. the $710 driver stimulus funds really run out this week?
0: By <laughs> uh-huh. the way, we never did get to that back
4: Brandon. It's response to the uh-huh. joint filing it and Donald Trump's
2: lawyers made Last week, on last Friday, where they each provided to the
4: judge a recommendation of who they would each want to become the special master. The Department of Justice gave two names, Trump gave two names, and today, on September 12th, they each provided a response. Earlier today, Trump responded with an objection, and the objection said that he objected to the individuals
2: requested by the Department of Justice didn't provide
4: any reasoning or explanation, but instead told the judge that the judge wanted to know the reasons for the objection, that he would privately through a in-camera <laughs> filing where just the judge would see it and would not be transparently filed publicly which is extremely weird and odd and if they want to make a filing outside <laughs> of the public view the proper procedure to file a notice of filing under should be seal Seal make the objection if that's the path you want to so, go in an under seal file. Granted, uh, the court granted the under seal file. The public could still object to that. News and media organizations could say there's no basis for it to private and confidential and not filed in the public record. But Trump didn't even do it. He told the judge, I'm going to file.
2: And if this is an
4: objection, I'll give you the reason if you want to know, but I want to do it confidentially. i let you know if you want to
2: know. It was a very weird uh, violence. Here, the Department of Justice, though, uh,
4: explained why they think that uh, the judges <laughs> may request a should be arrested. But interestingly, and this is where
2: Trump's selection of special masters was on
4: as the Department of Justice said, hey, one of the two people that dropped we'll use, we'll use that judge. It's a retired federal judge, who um. claims was a retired federal judge, more on that. In a second, we think that the qualifications for a special master shouldn't just be some random person who's a lawyer. Even if they're a successful private lawyer, or not so random in the community, it needs someone with special judicial experience in these areas. So the Department of Justice said in their response file today that Trump's attempted pick of someone named Paul Hutton Jr. should be rejected because they have no, he has no judicial experience or qualifications. But when one of the people who Trump selected, I think to the surprise of many legal observers, is someone find one. named the Honorable Raymond J. Deary. And Raymond J. Deary is a judge who sits at the Eastern District of New York. It was surprising for a lot of reasons. You know, number one, Trump said that he was a mayor judge. Judge Deary is actually not retired. The Department of Justice uh, brief points out that they just filed. They said um, uh, Judge Deary is on senior status with the court, but he doesn't appear to be actually retired. And so there may actually be confidence in the ability of a currently
2: working judge to take outside employment, outside of the
4: judiciary. But the government said, to the extent Judge Deary is able to oversee uh, this case, we'd be happy to have him as the special master, one of Trump's selection. Now, this election was odd, too, because Judge Deary was on the FISA court and issued a search warrant for Carter Page. And Judge Deary's known as a very kind of rational, no-nonsense, Judge with a very high reputation who would not be okay with parties uh, stealing uh, top secret sensitive departmented information or nuclear secrets, but some of the legal commentators said, well, the reason that Trump may have picked Judge Deary is his view that because um, some of the FISO warrants
2: were
4: defective would Judge Deary take a dim view of this uh, search execution. Eight, and would Judge Deary's experience as being one of the judges on the bicycle uh, maybe influence him to be very skeptical of the government search warrant in this case? So people thought maybe that's the reason why Trump would do it, even though he signed off on the uh, search warrant for uh, Carter Page. So, but the government said, hey, we're fine with Deary, we're fine with Judge Deary. But Trump's claiming he's retired, he's not retired, and there are rules against currently active judges being paid private employment, so he may not even be allowed to be uh, the special master in this case. And so here, Trump's lawyers clearly didn't research this issue correct to pick someone who's not even retired and to falsely claim that Judge Deary was retired. So on that basis, Judge Deary may actually get disqualified if he's not allowed to take the employment based on his current status as a judge who's sitting at senior status and not retired. If you're a retired judge, you can take private employment, but there's a lot of rules with current uh, judges. So um, one of the things that the government said, though, is we're willing to accept him if we can. So my view is, is that to the extent Judge Deary is permitted to be the special master, um, he would be disappointed because there seems to be agreement there, but it's possible that he's not going to be allowed to do it based on. That he is privately employed. The other two people who the government suggested was the Honorable Barbara S. Jones. This was a retired judge, and she was the special master on the Michael Cohen case and the Rudy Giuliani case. And that's where special masters were appropriate because it dealt with
0: uh, go ahead, eat it, and
4: attorney-client. It's not making decisions <laughs> about executive privilege, but attorney-client privilege issues. Um, and the other judge who was recommended by the uh, Department of Justice was the Honorable Thomas B. Griffith, who sat on the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, a very respected and distinguished judge. And the thing here that the government uh, says in terms of who they want to be as a special master, they're just saying that having substantial judicial experience is really an important factor for who we're going to appoint as a special master. Paul Huck Jr. doesn't have that judicial experience, And that's why they're fine with the three judges. But
2: Trump's selection of Deary may have backfired for two reasons. One, his lawyers mistakenly
4: believing that Judge Deary was retired, which may make it so that Judge Deary can't even take this task in the first place, meaning that you'd probably get a selection of the Department of Justice. Um, but it also could have backfired because the government seems perfectly fine with Judge Deary. And Judge Deary is not really a good special master. Um, if you're Trump and you're trying to sweep things under the rug and you're trying to be corrupt, you know Judge Deary would certainly rule the exact opposite of what Judge Eileen Cannon has ruled so far to even allow this process and charade to exist. So having Judge Deary would actually be a good thing. but. keep you updated there. The other thing to point out, of course, is that the government's not just accepting the existence of the special master for all purposes. The Department of Justice filed previously the notice of appeal with the 11th Circuit, which is the court of appeal that oversees Judge Eileen Cannon's court, the Trump appointee who has famously or now infamously made some of these really, really horrible Uh, rulings that make no uh, sense, and the government and the DOJ have filed a motion for partial stay as while it's being appealed um, regarding the 100 classified documents that they found that Trump stole and kept at Mar-a-Lago and made the argument that Judge Cannon, these 100 classified records clearly don't belong to Donald Trump. All the other records don't as well, but you will cause us and the national and the national security of this country irreparable harm if you don't allow us to immediately act upon the information that we've found in these top-secret, sensitive, compartmented, classified records. As it relates to those classified records, you can't enjoin us or stop us from reviewing those records, and the Special Master doesn't need to be involved with respect to those documents. And so... Uh, Trump responded earlier today with an opposition to the motion for partials stay, and it, I did a longer video on it, so you can check out that video. But Trump basically argued, first, all of these issues and disputes about me stealing top secret, sensitive, compartmented information—it's all a thing thrown out. misunderstanding. Uh, <laughs> this is just a case about a storage issue, and <laughs> a dispute over. Uh, storage issues so that was trump's first argument trump's next argument that he made in his opposition to the uh, motion was
7: um, i may have declassified it i may not have declassified it stand on and it's not just garland we're gonna get into that but i won't So, So folks, one thing is absolutely certain, that old Donnie and everyone around him, everyone in his quote-unquote inner sanctum, is totally desperate right now. And you can tell by the request that they just made at the 11th hour. It is absolutely absurd. And it's a surefire sign that they got nothing when it comes to their begging and pleading in front of Merrick Garland, judges, the system, the media, everybody else because they know when you strip everything down to the core they have no leg to stand on and it's not just garland we're gonna get into that but i want to show you three clips from three different people all of whom know donald trump extremely well and how they say his latest move is pathetic it will fail and that his fear-mongering isn't working either
4: I think the president is in serious legal water, not so much because of the search, but because of the uh, obstructive activity he took in connection with the January 6th proceeding. I think the, and the attempts to interfere in the election count in Georgia, uh, Arizona,
2: Pennsylvania, and perhaps Michigan. What do you think the possibilities are of an
9: indictment of former President Trump? I
2: think they're
4: very high.
9: Cobb, who served as White House counsel during the Mueller investigation, also said Trump's efforts to decertify the 2020 election were, quote, criminal and would merit prosecution.
4: (laughs) Having classified documents, particularly if you are actively (laughs) using them, Mm -hmm. could be could be an offense well worthy of prosecution. Sure. Well worthy of prosecution. But. Um, if, as I suspect, this is about know, January sixth. If yes, that is about January sixth. I think that's much different. Mm-hmm. I think this—that was the first time in American history that a president unconstitutionally attempted to remain in power uh, oh illegally.
10: Uh, and former Attorney General Bill Barr said that that was a deeply flawed ruling. What do you make of it and the Justice Department's chances? You know,
6: look, I think the Justice Department's chances are pretty good. Hmm. Um, and I think they are because yeah, the, the main thrust is that some of these may be covered by executive privilege. Well, there's only one executive who could assert the privilege, and that's the one who's the current executive, Joe Biden. Hey. A previous executive can't assert his executive privilege. You're not the executive any longer. Biden will not assert executive privilege over these documents, and I think the idea that some of these documents are somehow attorney-client privilege is going to be a bit of a reach, and I think they're going to have to show, um, in some respect, they have a good <laughs> faith basis to make that claim. So I think, for one, I think the GOJ probably has a pretty good chance chance on appeal. But I think we also should take a step back, Terry, because I remember all the hysteria when this first search was first done. And I was on the show saying we should wait and see why DOJ did this. It's not only the nature of the documents. We now have a good idea of the timeline. Mm -hmm. This has been 16 months that the Department of Justice has been saying, please, asking nicely, negotiating with his attorneys taking a partial production seeing a non-response to a subpoena
0: Um, they
6: had no choice in my view but to go in and take them because of the nature of the documents I'll say one, one quick note when you have SCI information, secure compartmentalized information, as the U.S. Attorney, when I had to review that in the post 9-11 era, I had to go into a special room called the skiff to review it, I couldn't take pictures, I couldn't take anything with me. He had that in the top drawer at Mar-a-Lago in his desk. <laughs> That's a problem. I don't think he'll be prosecuted for it, but the, we had to get-
5: Trump Show, and author of The,
9: Reckoning, the he America's he Trauma and Finding me. a Way to Heal.
5: Welcome to you both. Mary, you first here, I want your read on the new comments from the vice president. Do you believe there is a political risk to prosecuting your uncle, the former president? And what kind of reaction might he stir with his supporters? And is that a scary thought to you? Well, that is the political risk. His reaction is the political risk. However, the DOJ is not in the business of basing its decisions whether to prosecute or not on politics so the real question here is would it be too dangerous not to prosecute donald if indeed he is potentially guilty of having committed serious crimes against this country so um it it seems pretty clear to me that either way we are going to be in a lot of trouble we already are uh donald and his enablers are Ramping up their campaign to divide this country. They are doing everything in their power to delegitimize democratic wins uh, in the midterms if those happen. And uh, the problem is, though, that we would be much worse off, uh, even though, again,
2: it. it
3: What if you could get rid of your kitchen garbage at the push of a button? Hey, I'm Matt from PILA, and I want to introduce
0: introduce you 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 you
5: to my friend,
4: You
0: see, here
5: at PILA, we're a team of material scientists and engineers, and we believe waste can be designed out of your daily life. See, since January, we've created a dangerous situation if we... Refused to do anything and allowed this kind of criminality to stand.
7: So you can see there in the first one, you have one of Donald Trump's former lawyers saying that this might not even be the biggest case. He might likely get indicted on other stuff, other obstruction. And then you have Chris Christie, who I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to defend Chris Christie, but somebody who was one of Trump's earlier endorsers all the way back in 2015, 2016, saying that the more we see here, the clearer it is that the DOJ Garland case is rock solid based not only simply on what Trump had but the timeline how long this took you can't argue it was an accident of Donald Trump but rather a willful obstruction of the you know the holding of these documents that did not belong to him and then you have Mary Trump making it clear that this argument you've been hearing that Donald Trump being charged is too divisive and therefore we should just let him go is BS because it's gone too far and the only language which Donald Trump understands is actual force, you're not going to get him with compromise. And this is the argument Donald Trump is trying to make. They just filed a request challenging the appeal of Garland, and it's already being denied by anyone from Garland on down with even a quarter of a brain. This is the crux of the argument. It's literally all in only this it says. Executive New Trump lawyers oppose DOJ motion for judge to stay order seeking to regain access to docs seized from Mar-a-Lago marked classified. Trump concedes that as a former president, even if he has the right to access his presidential records, does not own them, and seems to argue that Trump may have declassified or designated some docs as personal records, but doesn't say if he actually did that. That's basically the argument. Yeah, there's more pages there, but that's the argument. that core that these documents aren't actually classified or whatever they're presidential records and maybe donald trump doesn't own them but he has a right to access them but that's all bs guys for a bunch of reasons one it's not simply personal presidential records in those files we also had very clearly classified information that was not part of his traditional presidential record folder you know letters to world leaders and from world leaders and things like that so let's operate in a very charitable way to trump and say hey he has a right to access some of the documents he had down in his home but because he doesn't own them the second they said to him Mr ex loser President, you need to give us our papers back. He should have given them back, and yet we know he didn 't as Chris Christie noted, like sixteen months went by, and a mixture of these quasi quasi personal records and these obviously not presidential, obviously classified records were found in trump 's home even after he signed a letter saying they gave back all the classified stuff, right, or his lawyers did on his behalf. It's, it's, he's dead to rights. It's dead to rights here. This is why Garland and everyone's denying the request. This is why they've said to the judge, fix your mistake, or we're going to move the case either out of your jurisdiction or we're going to appeal it. And this is why everyone, even people that backed Donald Trump originally, are saying he is cooked in this case.
5: What's the difference between a service animal and an emotional support pet? Well, a
9: service animal has to go through long and expensive training so it can work and care. that it? Shit. The palace has announced the schedule for the morning period. And.
7: What? have no leg to stand on. And uh-huh. it's not just. Mm
0: mm-hmm. was pretty cool the new school Trump Texas revealed once one year ago legal eagle that's cool three years ago spotted on secret unplanned trip to Washington DC as speculation goes wild beat with Ari Milber. <clears throat> August 12th. Yeah, okay. Watch the,
8: the Mar-a-Lago search warrant has been unsealed. We have it, yeah. you may have heard, and most importantly, as you see here, this is something we don't usually get. We've never gotten it for a former president, and we had no idea when the week started that we'd be going through it a documented list of the things that donald trump allegedly took or stole property of the u.s government and intelligence material we're going to get into this right now we start with what's in here we don't start with the law although it is the law that brought us this information we start with the search warrants property and inventory list so let's take a look you're going to see at the top how this works search and seizure warrant see that right there you have that On Trump's Mar-a-Lago premises, page one of it. Then on page five, and if we can, we'll bring this to you in full. Can we bring that up for everybody? Do we have that ability? I want everyone to see, yes, exactly what we have. I'm telling you, this is not the kind of thing we've ever gotten before, and I'm going to walk you through what it means right now. This is the receipt for property according to the FBI. The items listed, collected slash seized in that legal process from Mar-a-Lago. And I want to break down with you some of what we're learning. This is all brand new, so let's go through it together. About 21 boxes, two photo binders, one leather-bound box of documents, one handwritten note. This is all new today. This was not released until Merrick Garland went forward, as you know, and called out Donald Trump. And then it began to leak, and now it's out officially unsealed. We also know that the feds on Monday took... What they describe as Roger Stone's grant of clemency and some sort of information, much of this secret. Huh. So we don't have the underlying information, but what they describe <laughs> for the purposes sex,
2: of this seized property My list as sex, information sex
8: regarding the French president. Let's keep going. The FBI confiscating classified, top secret and SCI documents. That's the type of information that must be stored in a special facility for sensitive material, often called a skiff. We heard about that a lot in the Mueller days, and it is legally and physically protected and walled off from other top-secret clearance holders. We also now know tonight, new, four entries regarding top-secret documents seized from Donald Trump's home, three entries regarding, quote, secret documents, and three regarding, quote, confidential documents. Now, that list of seized material runs for about three pages in the search warrant. All of this being tracked. We're going to leave this on the screen for a moment while I tell you, and you could tell it's a different kind of news night, because I'm just going to leave this up for you to look at. Obviously, you can't read every word. What you are looking at right now is literally the receipts. You ever hear people say, well, we got receipts? Well, that's what it's legally called, receipt for property, but that's also, in a very real way, what is confronting, rebutting, and debunking not only Donald Trump, But so much of what we heard all week from some of his defenders, that this was some kind of just wild search for things that might not be there, weren't there, this and that. No. This is the fruits of the search. It's not one item. It's not two items. It is, according to the material on your screen, newly released and unsealed, a sweeping list of government property, national security information, and some of it top secret, which our experts will walk us through in a moment. Now, the warrant also says this was executed in the probe based on three federal laws. That's the legal authority. Now, nothing in the warrant confirms who is under investigation for that. And while people may draw their inferences, inferences are different than reporting. And I'm going to get into that in our breakdown tonight for you as well. So these laws could be violated. That's part of what is the basis for getting the material. But who violated it? The warrant doesn't purport to say. It has to do with improperly handling defense information and the final one regarding obstruction. Joyce Vance will be here later on that. The warrant also tells us exactly where they were searching in those 20 acres of Mar-a-Lago, noting that there was, quote, the 45 office, that's the shorthand for the 45th president, all storage rooms, and all rooms or areas where those documents could be stored. Now, I wanted to show you, as we try to do around here, exactly what's in this thing. We live in the Internet age, and so people can, of course, download it. But we have done our reporting to walk through some of the different details on the receipt on the property list. But if we take a step back before we get to the law, and I mentioned we will get to that later in the program, the receipts are the evidence. The evidence is what they found. And what they found is a lot. This is allegedly stolen property and allegedly top secret. Now, in a court case or an independent reporting, you want to get more. You don't want to just take the list. You want to go in and confirm it. But the FBI, the DOJ, and the magistrate judge who oversaw this were all pursuing a single goal that apparently Donald Trump and his lawyers had resisted, first under negotiations, then under subpoena. And the goal was to get this stuff back. And the reason why the release of this appears to be blowing up in Donald Trump's face Regardless of whether crimes were committed, which is a separate entity, as I mentioned, a separate inquiry that we'll get into. But even before you get to that, they have the receipts. He had the stuff on site. He was fighting the legal subpoena. It has been quite a week, one that started with a search and then had a invocation of the Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate yourself on Donald Trump's hump day. And by Friday, we know what they were searching for and what they found. Remarkable, significant. Now, let's bring in our experts, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist from The Washington Post, Eugene Robinson, and David Priest, former CIA officer who publishes on Lawfare and is the author, fittingly, of the President's Book of Secrets. Uh, David, based on your knowledge, did they find a lot of material that shouldn't be there? And how big a deal is it when you look at the classification levels invoked?
10: They found a lot of material i mean we're not just talking about a document or two and even in your summary it's hard to say but i think you underestimated it because each one of those entries about confidential information secret information top secret information the three levels of classification each one of those were characterized as miscellaneous documents so we're talking about probably dozens maybe hundreds of different Classified documents here, let's up slow, to and including.
8: Let's slow down on initiative. that for your point. We've got it up on the screen, so you'll walk us through this. That's why you are here, uh, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. Yeah, when you, you when we see easy. on the screen mm-hmm. an entry or more, three or four entries of those documents, explain that to us, please. And each one of those entries on the receipt, the entry actually
10: says "miscellaneous top secret documents" or "miscellaneous secret documents." So we're not talking about four. Top secret documents here. We're talking about four different entries of miscellaneous top secret documents. Now, that doesn't tell us everything, but it does tell us something important that this was not one document that somehow got misplaced. And even after being reminded of it and getting a subpoena, it could not be located. We are talking about a lot of material here, including some of the most sensitive material for the national defense that the U.S. government
8: produces. We know that just from this list here if you were involved in the recovery of this amount of material and you were told that somebody had been holding this for months while there was an active subpoena out for it uh what would your response be about the pace of the probe if it was just a citizen it it
10: blows my mind how patient investigators and law enforcement have been on this matter Mm. listen There are cases where people inadvertently bring home classified material when they work in the intel community, as I did. It happens sometimes. And when that happens, you immediately give up the information. Often there's a damage assessment to figure out who could have accessed that document in that limited amount of time. We're talking about August 2022. The president has been out of office for many, many months with repeated efforts to get this information this is one of the most serious violations I've ever heard of. Now, do we know who was responsible for covering up or possibly delaying the delivery of this material? As you said, we don't know. This material does not say who is culpable here, but on its basis, on the, the facts in front of us, this is a very serious violation of both the Presidential Records Act, but also each of the statutes that were used to justify the search and seizure.
8: And how many presidents did you serve in in your role dealing with intelligence?
10: Well, I talked to more than I served when I uh, wrote the president's book of secrets about their intelligence use. And I worked under two different presidencies. And honestly, it didn't cross my mind back then, Ari, that this kind of thing could happen because (laughs) presidents who got elected and saw the nature of intelligence information and the risks that men and women took to get that information to try to contribute to national security decision making. They were very careful with this material. And I can't imagine a previous president being this cavalier with it or allowing his people to be this cavalier with it. It is truly
8: unprecedented. And in brief, uh, before I bring in Jean, who has been listening intently to you, like like some presidents may have, um, have you ever seen anything like this?
10: No. Uh, The closest I've heard is a story from the Reagan administration when a White House staffer who was so overworked that he didn't have time during the day to read the most sensitive intelligence made photocopies of the president's daily brief and took them home and stored them in his garage. The National Security Advisor found out about that and put a stop to it and no charges were filed. That's the only comparable case to this one. But in this case, it's Mar-a-Lago. It's not a National Security Council staffer down
8: the road from the White House. Gene, uh, people come to you both in your writing and, and here when we listen to you for your vast knowledge, having covered many administrations. This is one of those weeks and one of those nights where I, I'm really curious what you think about the objective facts of what we're learning about this material in the context of how many people risk their lives in the service to the United States. Um, I'm wondering if there is a way, and I know it's hard to do, but just as they compartmentalize some of this intelligence gene, I'm wondering if we compartmentalize away everything that people feel about Donald Trump, good, bad or in between, and take just this information. Imagine it was President X. Where does this fit into your view of the significance of this story as someone who we rely on to understand uh, this national news? Unprecedented, um, unthought of. I mean, every every president I've
6: ever known or watched or um, observed or reported on, uh, every administration has ha- has been very, extremely, meticulously careful uh, with top secret information, with classified information. Now, administrations, governments. Generally speaking, classify too many things. There's a lot of stuff that they they stamp, you know, confidential or whatever on that doesn't deserve to be. But but when when you get to top secret, you get to top secret slash SCI, that that most sensitive information. That stuff doesn't lie around in the White House. It doesn't lie around in the Oval Office. It doesn't lie around Ooh. anywhere. Much less in the basement uh, of of Mar-a-Lago.
10: It's not enough to just repeal Roe v. Wade. The federal government needs to step in, so no state can prevent abortion. Absolutely no abortions. You make it illegal and you punish the doctors. It's a religious sacrifice.
8: I think it's demonic.
10: How to attract and kill mosquitoes in minutes. This simple but brilliant solution you can use tonight to eliminate all mosquitoes around you is taking America by storm. An ingenious college student from Utah just turned the...
8: Our breaking news coverage continues now. We have this Trump search warrant for the first time. We covered, at the start of the show here tonight on The Beat, the details about each of those intelligence materials that are allegedly stolen and then hidden inside Trump's home long after he left government. Now, as promised, we actually turn to the law. What this warrant, and particularly what we're going to get into, in these cases cited in this warrant, tell us. Now, first, and this is important, a warrant alone does not tell you everything. We will return to that point. But the newly revealed warrant does tell us which laws the Justice Department cited to get this authority and presumably which the judge then approved because it's written in here. That's the legal basis for the search. First, the most grave statute cited is the Espionage Act, referring to gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information, which can relate to material used to injure the U.S. And then, that sounds really bad, and, well, it could be. (laughs) Then you have something that obviously, (laughs) according to the public evidence, appears to have occurred in some way at some point because it's the law on concealing, removing or generally mutilating documents. We know, according to the FBI, these documents they say were removed and they got them back. And then third, you may have heard a reference to this. This is not specific to intelligence. There's a third statute cited that you could think of broadly as relating to obstruction, something we've covered in many of these probes, the destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations, the warrant authorizing the feds to seize physical documents and records constituting the evidence, contraband, fruits of a crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of those laws. So, or meaning any one of them. The warrant also notes the classification markings and storage of transmission and the national defense information of classified material, as well as knowing alteration, destruction or concealment, were all basically in writing on the table as the government's concerns. That is a brief primer on what we got out of the legal side of the warrant. And as promised, we turn to federal prosecutor, former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. She also used to hold something that people are hearing about tonight, a top secret SCI Security clearance, welcome back.
9: Good to see you, Ari. Uh, When you
8: look at the warrant and its basis, uh, what can you glean from it? And does it look to you after a week of all kinds of attacks on this process that this was a validly approved and executed legal search warrant?
9: That's a great question. And the answer is we don't know because there's a missing part of this warrant that none of us has seen. That's the affidavit that was submitted by a federal agent under oath, under penalty of perjury, laying out probable cause that justified the search. I'm going to hazard a wild guess here that everyone was very careful that this affidavit was to within an inch of its life by people inside of the Justice Department. And that the judge gave it an even higher level of scrutiny before he put his name on it. So that, I think, is, is something that we can move forward with. What we did learn, Ari, that's absolutely fascinating is what laws DOJ thinks were violated, what laws it's investigating, what crimes it's investigating, because probable cause doesn't exist in a vacuum. DOJ has to say, here are the crimes we have probable cause to believe were are committed and that we will find evidence of and fruits of at the location we want to search. So that's new and very interesting.
8: And we'll leave it on the screen and we're keeping up with you here. We have those three laws. And you're uh, advising us here through your your analysis that what we're seeing, and again, we wouldn't normally see this this early and certainly not in this kind of case, but we all know what led to it, is the likelihood, the probable cause that these laws were violated. And that's different from who may have violated them. And I want to turn to that because this is something that might be less exciting in a way to people, but it's actually vital to understand the warrant, which is a technical document. Um, The way I would put it, Joyce, and I want you to walk us through it, is that in any search warrant, uh, the reference to a given law as the basis for the search does not automatically tell us who may be under investigation for the possible violation of that law. And I say that in all seriousness because while everyone understands this was Trump's compound and And everyone understands that he is the person who was involved in removing this material, once you start listing several laws and several basis, it is not the same as a report or a confirmation of who is being investigated, let alone potential indictment. Um, Do you think that level of caution is necessary looking at a document like this? And walk us through that distinction between laws and who. Uh,
9: This is a really good point. Nothing in the materials that we've seen comes right out and says, and the former president is a target of this investigation. There's a lot of assumption, and there's even some basis for that assumption, because in the search warrant, when the judge is talking about where at Mar-a-Lago the agents are entitled to search, he's very specific. He says, the 45 office, any other storage spaces or areas that the former president and his staff would have access to and not rooms that are occupied by guests and that the former president and his staff don't have ongoing.